The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Squawk Box. Out of the hospital, but not yet out of the woods. President Trump returns to the White House, but his physician says they are in, quote, uncharted territory as more administration officials test positive for the virus. Don't let it dominate you. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to beat it. We have the best medical equipment. We have the best medicines, all developed recently. Presidential rival Joe Biden says there is a lot to be concerned about, telling an NBC town hall in Florida that prevention is crucial in fighting the spread of the pandemic. I hope that the president, having gone through what he went through, and I'm glad he seems to be coming along pretty well, would uh, communicate the right lesson to the American people. Masks matter. These masks, they matter. It matters. It saves lives. It prevents the spread of the disease. Another hour of talks, but no deal just yet. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin once again so far failing to agree on a stimulus plan, with negotiations set to resume today. And elsewhere, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak in the United Kingdom, says he has a sacred responsibility to balance public finances, warning against uncontrolled borrowing and saying he faces hard choices everywhere. So President Trump has downplayed the danger of COVID-19 as he returned to the White House after being hospitalized for four days. In a short video message on Twitter, he said he felt better and will be returning to the campaign trail soon, adding Americans should not fear the virus. Don't let it dominate you. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to beat it. We have the best medical equipment, we have the best medicines, all developed recently. And you're gonna beat it. I went, I didn't feel so good. And two days ago, I could have left two days ago, two days ago I felt great, like better than I have in a long time. I said just recently, better than 20 years ago. Don't let it dominate, don't let it take over your lives. Don't let that happen. We have the greatest country in the world. We're going back, we're going back to work, we're gonna be out front. As your leader, I had to do that. I knew there's danger to it, but I had to do it. I stood out front. I led. Well, the president will continue to receive treatment at the White House, including a fifth dose of the antiviral drug remdesivir, as well as an experimental antibody cocktail. But the president's physician says he has not yet fully recovered from COVID. Over the past 24 hours, the president has continued to improve. He's met or exceeded all standard hospital discharge criteria. He'll receive another dose of remdesivir here today, and then we plan to get him home. It's been more than 72 hours since his last fever. Oxygen levels, including ambulatory saturations and his work of breathing, are all normal. Though he may not entirely be out of the woods yet, the team and I agree that all our evaluations, and most importantly, his clinical status, support the president's safe return home, where he'll be surrounded by world-class medical care 
24-7. So, President Trump's physician. So the markets have the opportunity now for something of a relief rally. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. In spite of some recommendations from the medical community, President Trump has decided to go back to the White House in a stage-managed video that looks like something straight out of Hollywood. But we do know the president's previous uh, employment history had something to do with reality TV. So he is a master at managing the message. And the markets seem happy for the time being to go along with this story. If we do a quick run along the wall here, the Dow Jones putting on 465 points here. Amgen was one of the big contributors to the performance of the Dow overnight, uh, giving the market 68 points of that 465 points here. The S&P 500 eking out a 1.8% gain here. The benefit of strong moves from Apple assisting with the S&P. But it was the Nasdaq that really saw the bigger gains up 2.3% here as investors were again encouraged to go back to the same well that has fed them over the recent uh, months and years. And it was the momentum around the growth story that really encouraged investors. But I want to make a point here, and it's not just what's happening with the president that is encouraging investors. If you have a look at the Russell, the Russell was up 2.4%. And that represents a broader swathe of the American heartland in corporate terms. And part of the reason I think that investors were emboldened to go back to that story, if you look at the U.S. earnings, we've begun the third quarter reporting season of the 18 companies that have reported so far for the season we're 20% above earnings estimates. Okay, I know many of you will say, well, look, they always manicure down those estimates so that they can beat them. But when you looked at the second quarter, at the same time, with 18 companies reported, we were effectively 2% below the average earnings estimate. So either they got it very badly wrong on second quarter estimates, or they got it very badly wrong on third quarter estimates, but it will have emboldened investors to believe that that recovery is still intact in the United States. What about Asia? Let's have a look at the Asian session here. Obviously, China is still not participating because we have this extended break for the Chinese markets. Hong Kong uh, is, though, in the action here. And it's worth just mentioning that as we look at these Asian markets, we're now at a two-week high. So as we see the American economy on slightly uh, firmer sentiment footing, well, the Asian markets are willing to participate in that as well. Uh, What about Europe? What do we need to know as far as Europe is concerned? Well, we had a roundly positive close. It was a broad risk on day yesterday for the European markets. But the PMIs, quite frankly, in the services sector were rather ho-hum, weren't they? I mean, all they really tell us is that Germany, the largest economy in Europe, continues still to power through the new cases that we are seeing. And um, let's face it, Germany has not been immune. They've got issues in Berlin and other states are very wary about that uptick as well. But having said all of that, there is still plenty going on in the German economy to encourage investors to believe that this is 
the first among equals in market terms. We've got a guest on uh, to talk about the EFO survey, this key German survey later. Uh, we're going to get some interesting insights, I hope, on different sectors of the economy. So what about uh, President Trump's arrival on the lawn, uh, the fact that he irked some by taking his mask off as he returned to the White House? Well, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, isn't it, on that futures quote. If you look at the futures right now, the suggested open is a little mixed, but we will start in positive territory according to the Dow Jones implied open. So hopefully we've given you a a good roundup of how the markets currently sit this hour. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. So let's talk about the other side of the U.S. election, Joe Biden. Uh, Mr. Biden says President Trump bears responsibility for his COVID-19 infection after flouting public health guidelines for months. Speaking to NBC's Lester Holt during a town hall in Miami, the Democratic presidential candidate said he was not surprised that the president fell victim to the virus. He wished Trump well while striking a very different tone to the president. I would hope that the president, having gone through what he went through, and I'm glad he seems to be coming along pretty well, would uh, communicate the right lesson to the American people. Masks matter. These masks, they matter. It matters. It saves lives. It prevents the spread of the disease. Social distancing. Instead of talking about what the only thing I heard was one of the tweets saying that, You know, don't be so concerned about all this, essentially. There's a lot to be concerned about. 210,000 people have died. You have, uh, you know, about 1,000 people a day getting the coronavirus, 50,000 a week. I mean, so it's a great concern. I hope no one walks away with the message thinking that it is not a problem. It's a serious problem. The former vice president criticized the president for his frequent refusal to wear a mask while around other people. Anybody who contracts the virus by essentially saying masks don't matter, social distancing doesn't matter, I think is, is, is responsible for what happens to them. If these people took off their masks and they all have them on, I notice, and just all of a sudden got in a gaggle and started talking to one another, well, they're taking responsibility that, in fact, they should not, they should be held responsible for. Because every major scientist and doctor and immunologist has said that's a very dangerous thing to do. Right, let's move on. A plexiglass barrier will separate the Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris when they face off in their vice presidential debate on Wednesday, a person familiar with the debate planning told NBC News that Harris's campaign asked for the plexiglass to be used at the showdown at the University of Utah. Uh, the Commission on Presidential Debates approved the request despite Politico reporting that the Pence campaign was 
against it. And of course, you'll know the controversy about the president and his entourage arriving too late uh, in Cleveland at that debate uh, for the president to be tested. And of course, that's become very pertinent since. Now, US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, as we mentioned in the headlines, set to talk again about a new coronavirus stimulus package. They spoke for an hour yesterday uh, where they discussed the justification for various spending amounts. Negotiations are set to resume today as they try to craft a fifth pandemic relief package. Well, a couple of points, Jeff, before we get to our next guest. One, they're not that far away. My understanding is that Republican side of things are looking at 1.6 trillion. So far, the Democrats are looking at a figure north of $2 trillion as well. But I was thinking about the stage management and you made, as ever, the excellent point about how very good the president is at stage management on that Roosevelt balcony, ripping off the uh, mask and what have you. But surely, if this is about stage management as much as anything else, Jeff, as well, the idea of the Democrats and the administration getting a deal while the president is still in the Walter Reed Hospital. That would be inconceivable to the man who likes to be at the centre of attention. So I would suggest to our viewers, maybe I'm being too much of a cynic on this one as well, that while the president was laid up, uh, the chance of a deal was slim. Now he's back. Maybe he could come back and say, look, I've even got you a stimulus deal. Yeah, I'm, I'm still intrigued uh, as to whether this will actually get done because Clearly, uh, once we get uh, some form of breakthrough here, it still has to get through Congress at this point. And as we count down to the election, it still feels to my mind as though there are uh, you know, increasingly few reasons for uh, both sides to actually give ground on this. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure how um, willing at this stage the Democrats are to actually come to the table, given this uh, sort of renewed uh, hustings posture that the president has now taken. Because let's face it, it is very clear that the nature of this video and the messages the president is putting across in the video are all designed to bolster his electoral chances at this point. I'm not sure whether Nancy Pelosi and the Dems will will actually see this as a, a reason to facilitate uh, the president's uh, return to the White House. Steve, let's bring in Pippa Malmgren. She's the author of The Infinite Leader, balancing the demands of modern business leadership. She is also a former presidential advisor to George W. Bush. And Pippa, I think you, you probably will have a better sense of how the land lies at the moment for both sides in this run-up to the election. G give us your thoughts as to, um, one, what President Trump's big showcase arrival means for his side, and ultimately whether you think Joe Biden has done well over recent days while the president has been in hospital. Yeah, so I think you've got to remember that for the president's supporters, what he's doing, as you say on the hustings, is definitely working. And this idea that this person is above the law, above disease, uh, untouched by reality, this actually works in his favor with the people who already support him. With the people who don't, it doesn't make any difference. And so we're back to this fundamental question of, is there anybody who still hasn't made their mind up? And uh, I think that there are few that haven't made their mind up. And the real issue is there's so many silent voters who won't say that they favor Trump, even though they do. I just think the silent vote in this election is even bigger than it was in the last one. Dipper, I recall that um, some months back um, you were 
skeptical, actually, that President Trump would run. I know that you talked previously about whether he would uh, pretend that he was going to run and then bow out and go off and start up a, a TV franchise. What do you think um, determined in his mind that he could actually win in spite of some of the very early polling suggesting that uh, a, a Democratic challenger would have a good chance? Well, and I think it might have been the opposite decision making that he must stay because the legal challenges he now faces are so severe from the state attorney general in the state of New York, uh, from the investigations into the Trump family enterprises, uh, from the investigations into his tax position. And he is protected from those as long as he remains in the presidency. So I still think that we're going to see uh, this political figure, when he does leave office, enter the television space. I don't think there's any doubt that he will remain a major figure in the public debate and possibly a larger one than in the White House because of a media platform. And there's lots of discussion about the creation of that media platform uh, of new channels that would challenge both Fox News and CNN that he would be likely to be involved with or the Trump family enterprises will be involved with. So I think the timing may have changed, but the strategy hasn't. And Pippa, Steve um, brought up the, the, the question about stimulus. And of course, it, it's very clear that there are a lot of parts of the U.S. economy that are still asking for further assistance at this point, particularly with the washing out of the furlough scheme here. Do you think that it's in the interests of uh, either side to actually come to an agreement before Election Day? Uh, I don't think that we're going to get there. And what's interrupted it now, of course, are two things. One is the Supreme Court question. And I think that this election really is a Supreme Court question. And that's why a number of people who would normally not be a Trump supporter will vote for him because what they're really voting for is securing a conservative Supreme Court for many years to come. Uh, and second, COVID is interrupting everything. Uh, the Supreme Court vote, for example, two of the members of the Senate Judiciary Committee are now infected with COVID and in isolation. Uh, and elderly senators everywhere you look who are likely to be affected by this between now and that potential vote. Uh, so bottom line, I think much depends on what is the physical condition of the people who will be voting in the Congress. Uh, Pippa, let me, um, by the way, good morning, Chairman. It's been you for a long time as well. Uh, Stephen Roach, of course, um, very famous man, formerly of Morgan Stanley, and that writing in the uh, FT today saying the end of the dollar's exorbitant privilege is pretty much nigh upon us as well. And he thinks the dollar is going to be 35% lower by the end of 2021. The premise here is that the current account is in appalling state as well. And net domestic savings from a government, from a corporate to a personal level are absolutely atrocious as well. There's a bigger problem on the horizon, isn't there? And that is the fact that the world's waking up to the huge amount, regardless, that the US is spending. Okay, so he's right about the magnitude of the problem, but I think he's wrong because it's all a relative trade. So where else are you going to go? What do you feel better with? Are you going to be buying China? Are you going to be buying Europe? Are you going to buy Japan? I think that actually the U.S. is poised to have the fastest, sharpest recovery from COVID of any location in the world. I also think the recovery from COVID is likely to happen more quickly, more sharply 
than most people anticipate because right now everyone has sort of marked into their portfolio the Great Depression Mark II. So any good news completely disrupts that very negative outlook. And let's face it, we have record amount of government capital that's been injected into the world economy, exceeding the financial crisis numbers by an order of magnitude. And now we're getting a wave of entrepreneurial response because so many people are being fired, so many businesses are hitting the wall. There's no choice. You can't wait to be hired. Most people are busy trying to come up with a new business model, and there is capital to fund that. And I think that you Usually, entrepreneurial energy and capital find a way to meet. So uh, if you're betting this way, I'm betting it happens in the U.S. first, not last. Look, Pip, I'm not betting on fantasy Eccle. I've heard that story too many times. What I am saying is you just answered your own question. You said, what are you going to use? Dollars? No, big pardon. Uh, Japanese yen, Europe? Are you going to use the China? And why not? Why not spread your risk as well? That's the point. The exorbitant privilege Mr. Roach is talking about is because the dollar had some form of exceptionalism. I, I hear your patriotism oozing through when you talk about the US growth rates, but compared with elsewhere in the world, they're not quite as dramatic as they used to be, certainly not compared with emerging markets as well. Why not spread your risk and actually not have all your money in the previous reserve, reverse reserve currency? Well, it could be a reverse currency, I guess. <laughs> I hear you. And actually, I'm a big fan of diversification. I'm just saying there are other reasons we should take into consideration, like the enormous debt that exists now across the emerging markets that's all dollar denominated at a time when the capacity of most emerging market economies to pay that off is, is deteriorating incredibly quickly. We're hearing both the World Bank and the IMF discussing the possibility of debt jubilees for these emerging markets. I don't think that's an encouraging sign for those who want to be investing in those places until it happens. Once it happens, I'd be all in. Uh, I think any kind of debt write-off, which I expect to happen across the board in the coming years, all of that is actually ultimately good for investors. So, you know, it's a question of the timing. And I'm just saying that prior to things like debt jubilees, I'd be hesitating about that and sticking with the market. Again, you know, it's not really because of my patriotism. It's just it happens to be the largest, most diverse, uh, best growing market in the world. And that has proved to be a persistent factor. And by the way, I don't particularly attribute that to the president. And I, as you know, have been writing for years that it was occurring before President Trump arrived. Uh, this isn't about uh, a political stance. It's just the U.S. economy is remarkably robust and diverse. And for example, I would say that Silicon Valley has now reappeared in a new form in Austin, Texas. And that is the part of the country that is growing the fastest and has the most diverse, interesting investment pool. Most people haven't caught up with that and they're not focused on Texas. But I think that actually that is where the action is in the world economy, relatively. Pippa, prescient as always uh, with your latest uh, book and uh, leadership is going to be key here. And um, it's interesting overnight that we heard from uh, Rishi Sunak, the UK chancellor at the party conference here. Um, you talk about managing business. Well, he's managing the ultimate business, I guess, the UK economy at this point. And he had some strong messages about tackling the debt. Uh, UK now, what, we're in excess of 100% debt to GDP. Um, given the lessons of your book or the messages in it, 
Is it a little early for a Rishi Sunak to be talking about paying down the debt when we're still talking about dealing with the current crisis? Yeah, but because we have so little data on COVID, so little understanding of how long it's going to persist, uh, I think the key thing is that officials in every government are trying to have it both ways. That yes, we'll support the economy as long as it's being pummeled by the virus. And no, we won't do anything excessive. And so it's in a way, it's kind of meaningless. Um, the point is that people are afraid, they're nervous, and they're trying to address that fundamental unease. But I think the, the bottom line is COVID, uh, look, it reveals the underlying pre-existing conditions initially in a human being. Now we're seeing it in companies, we're seeing it in economies, we're seeing it in societies. Uh, and we still don't know how that fully unwinds. For example, the whole Black Lives Matter movement in the United States, it's not that COVID caused it. COVID revealed the fact that the African-American community in the United States really hasn't achieved the the priority in society that it should have by this time. You know, I give speeches all over the world and I look at the audience in America and we still don't see African-Americans in those audience, those business audience. What is that about? And something needs to change. And so we're going through a kind of um, a, a public addressing of that issue. And regardless of which side you take, there's clearly a need to deal with this underlying pre-existing condition that should have been addressed many decades ago. And so this is where we are with leadership and why I think actually leadership is not just about the person in charge. It's about every one of us and the role we play every day in making decisions that impact the outcome, including the decision to vote and participate in elections. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.